got your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Mark today, specifically Mark chapter 6. We're going to continue the series that we've been on in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to jump into verse 30 in just a minute. But the question I have for you is, have you ever experienced ridiculous moments in your life? Like you're like, God, why in the world is this happening? Have you ever, just real quick, make sure I know. I mean, really those ridiculous moments like you're saying, God, if you don't stop doing this, if you don't step in right now, I don't know, I can't be held responsible for my actions. Anybody? Those moments that it is so ridiculous that you're like, is anybody else seeing this happen? Is this just me? The situation that we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 6, probably the disciples were looking at it at first and going, this is just ridiculous. This is a ridiculous situation that we found ourselves in. And Jesus in the midst of that said, there is a faith that I want you to get in your life when you face ridiculous situations. Much like Joel, I started out my ministry uh, as a youth minister. There's a picture on the screen of the very first church that I ever was a youth minister at. It was Bedford Baptist Church. I had left uh, to go and be at Southern Seminary to get an education, to go into ministry. I was, had been working on my master's degree in clinical psychology. I had a great job, and now I was serving at a church that gave me the whopping salary of $9,000 a year. I was thrilled! to starve to death. That was kind of where I was in my life. And so I went to this church every week. I devoted myself. I was devoting myself to the studies. I was thinking, God, God, I have been faithful to you. You're going to be faithful to me. And I can remember one specific Sunday, I was sitting in the back parking lot. You'll see a picture of it right there. It was behind the church. You couldn't see it from the road. I was sitting in the back parking lot after a long day of ministry. Does anybody remember when church used to happen on Sunday night and Wednesday night and Tuesday night you used to go out and visit anybody? It's a good days, wasn't it? And so I'd been there all day long. I'd had the morning service. We'd had the evening services. We'd gone through the whole process. Everyone was gone. I'd locked up the building. I was the last one to leave. I was sitting in my car, and I looked down at my gas tank and realized that it was completely on empty. Has anybody else ran their car out of gas totally? I used to have a 63 Cadillac convertible, got three miles to the gallon, going downhill. I ran out of gas all the time. And I'm looking at this truck. This was a uh, uh, 91 Toyota, had no air conditioning, no radio. And so we rolled up and down the windows. For those of you who know what rolling up and down the windows means, it's this. Okay, it's not that. Right, And so I had a truck. It, had, it was the base model. It, it, it had a five-speed. In our world today, if you have a five-speed car, you can leave the keys in it. No big deal. Nobody's going to steal it, right? You just leave them right in there. It's not a problem. But at that time, people did drive stick shifts, so it could have been stolen. But this was a base truck. I'm sitting there with no gas. I've been ministering all day long. I'd left a good job. I'd left all those things. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I don't have any gas, and I don't have any money in my wallet. In that moment, I needed to travel 45 minutes back to seminary because I had to get ready for the next day, write papers and all those things. And I realized that I was stuck. And I really thought to myself, God, this is ridiculous. I have left a good job. I have left the thing that I was doing. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to be faithful to this church. I'm doing all of these things. And now I'm sitting in the back parking lot in my truck. Nobody's here. And I don't even have enough gas to get me back home. God, this situation is absolutely intolerable. I can't believe that you would put me in this situation. In that moment, my faith began to die. And I started saying, God, are you even listening to me? 
Do you see the struggles that I'm going through? Do you know what this is like? Do you have any clue what I'm dealing with in this truck right now? I mean, I would love to at least be able to turn on the air conditioner, but there's not even an air conditioner. And I can remember putting my head down into my hands and just thinking, God, what are you going to do about this one? And as I was sitting there quietly, someone knocked on the window of my door. There's no way they would have known I was there by driving by. They had to intentionally come up and seen my truck there. And they came over and knocked on the window of the truck, and I rolled the window down. I said, hi. Acted like everything was fine. That's what we do, isn't it? Everything's fine. Hi, how you doing? And they said, God sent me here to give you $10. In that moment, that $10 thrilled my soul. God, you love me so much. You were so awesome. I can't believe you would send somebody here to take care of me. It was just a moment that my spirit was filled up. Have you ever experienced that? The moment that you felt like everything was wrong. I mean, $10 stood between my faithfulness and my faithlessness. Have you been that low? $10. There may be somebody sitting here today that drove up and your gas tank's on empty and you're thinking you don't have any money. I'm just going to leave this right here for you. It's for you. The disciples were with Jesus and they had been going through a process of being discipled. They had come to a point that they were being trained up. You see, Jesus was in the process of getting them ready to be faithful to him. As we look back over the book of Mark, we've traveled a lot. I'm going to ask you to skip to that second illustration for me, the second one there. This is the process that Jesus had taken the disciples through. First of all, Jesus had this faith journey that he was taking them on, and he had a clear mission of what he wanted to take them on. He, he understood that his mission was to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's why Jesus was here. He was clearly stating that he, the Messiah is here, and it's time for us to declare the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he began to surround himself with people who would become his disciples. Many of you have heard all the stories about the disciples, where they came from. They were in the area of Galilee. Eleven of the disciples were from that area. What was that like? It's kind of like some of the disciples had been from Thompson Station, and some of them had been from Spring Hill, and some of them had been from Franklin, and some of them were from Brentwood, and one of them was from Antioch, and they were all this group of people that said, we kind of live in the same area. They knew each other, but of the eleven, they were all kind of connected, but there was one that was from down south. He was actually from Huntsville, Alabama, and everybody was curious about this guy because his name was Judas. He wasn't part of the Galilean tribe. And so Jesus is taking this group of people and he's training them up and he says, the message that we are proclaiming, the thing that we are teaching is that the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus began to walk through this area, and as he did, he began to minister to people, and he was doing this modeling for them of laying on of hands, of caring for people, of taking care of the people, of healing people of their diseases, of healing people that had died and casting out evil spirits. And so he was training up this group of people not only to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, but to show that the kingdom of God has power. And the disciples had been on this journey with them, and, and Jesus was continually teaching them also that as you go on this journey, you're going to experience rejection. 
there are people who are going to reject you. And he taught them how to deal with this situation. When somebody rejects you and your gospel message and what you're doing, simply look at them and say, I've got other work to do, thank you, and head on your way. You see, we get so distracted in the things that people say, the rejection that we have in our world, we get so focused on it that we forget that the message, the movement, the thing we need to do is still out in front of us, and we get stuck at that moment. So Jesus showed them, listen, when that happens, just keep moving. Move on to the next place. Don't get stuck there. And then he said, now it's time for you guys, two by two, to go out and be sent to this area of Galilee to share this message. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is here. It is time for God's kingdom to be in place, to heal people, to encourage them. They went out two by two. Now, the guys that were from Thompson Station, they were like, yeah, let's go together. The guys who were from uh, Franklin, they were, they were excited about going together. But then there was this one guy named Judas. I'm making all this stuff up. There was this one guy named Judas, and they were like, who's going to go with Judas? I'm just wondering, who's going with Judas? But two by two by two by two, they went out into the area and they began to touch people's lives. They began to impact lives. They, they were walking by faith. Where we pick up in the scripture verses today is this last part of Jesus' training of the disciples. And that is they come back for a mission report. We just heard Joel stand up here and give a mission report. He gave the report of what happened, the lives that were changed, how God made a difference. My guess is if we had all the youth in a room and we sat down for a few minutes and listened to them, we would hear story after story after story of how good God is. Do you have a story of a ridiculous time in your life, something that was going wrong and suddenly God stepped in and you're like, God is good. Let me tell you about what happened. And so we look here in Mark chapter 6, starting with verse 30, and read this with me. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They'd been teaching the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is here. It is time for the kingdom of God. But then they were also laying on hands and seeing people healed, driving out evil spirits. And they went on and on. And as it goes in in verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a, the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Have you ever been going through life, you had expectations of the way things were going to be, and they didn't go that way? E even with God, he, he, he said to you, I will be faithful to you, I'll take care of you. But then you find yourself in the middle of a circumstance, a situation that becomes ridiculous, that you're like, God, why are you taking me through this situation? And in the midst of that, your expectations begin to fall apart, and you wonder, God, are you even there? The disciples are here with Jesus, and they go off, and the Bible says that he says to them, let's go off to a desolate place, a place for you to rest. And they're thinking, yes, these people are wearing us out. We've been out on ministry. We love them. We've enjoyed all the things that have happened. We've got great stories, but we've we, we got to take care of ourselves here. We need some food. We need some energy. We need to regroup. 
The Bible says that they went and got on the boat. Any of you who are really studying deep into this scripture, it was one of the disciples' boats. It was one of those 12, 27 to 30-foot fishing boats that they used to go out and catch fish. And it was a boat that they used in their ministry continually. It wasn't just a boat. They didn't just walk up to the shore. This was something that they knew that when they got on it, it was their boat. They were in control. Do you like to be in control? I love to be in control. And so in that moment, the disciples are getting on the boat that they knew, that one of them owned, and they were moving to a place that they could now rest. And then it says in verse 33, Now many saw them going and realized and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. In verse 34, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he was, had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, I want you to picture this. More than likely, the trip that they had by boat was about four miles. The run was about eight miles around the shoreline. There were people who saw Jesus and the disciples leave. They were so hungry to get what they were doing, to have that healing, to have that teaching, to know all those things, that they took off running. My guess is that would take a couple hours, maybe two and a half, three hours, for a really good runner, someone who had stamina, who's going to get to the other side. So the disciples are on the boat for a period of time. They're out in the boat. Yes, they're resting. They're out there enjoying their camaraderie. They're probably telling the stories. Some of them probably are sound asleep. Have you ever been on a boat and it's just nice and easy and it just kind of puts you to sleep? And they are getting that rest for just a short period of time. But as soon as they get to the place that they think they're going, all of the people were there. And when Jesus sees these people, he doesn't think to himself, I've got to send these people away because the disciples are tired and we've come here to rest. What he does is looks upon these people and he has compassion on them. He sees that they are in need. He sees that they need help both for their physical being, for their emotional being, but also to understand the kingdom. Of God is at hand. And so his response to them totally does not meet the expectations of the disciples. Have you ever been doing something that God had put you on mission to do and somewhere along the way you're like, I don't know that I signed up for this part of the trip. And now he's standing there before these people and it, the Bible says that he looks at them. Look at this. It says that he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. Now, maybe you've heard that sheep are dumb, right? The truth is, they're no more dumb than a pig or a cow. Sheep are sheep, right? Did you know, though, that sheep have a lot of emotion? Did you know that sheep, if they are abused or they are neglected, have a memory of who did that, and they have a lot of baggage? Anybody here got some baggage, just out of curiosity? Thank you. Did you know that they're not only needing this compassion and they have baggage, but sheep pretty much can't take care of themselves. Sheep need a shepherd to direct them and to guide them. And Jesus is looking out at this group of people, and he is saying that this is a group of people who is in need of care, who have been abused, who is in need of someone to step in and love them. In verse 35, continuing on, it says this, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away and go into the, to go into the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. 
All right, so the disciples are there. They're watching all of this take place. Their expectation was that they were going to a place that they were going to rest, they were going to get their bellies full, and they were going to regroup from what had just happened. Instead, when they get there, there is this group of people that are there. Jesus begins to minister to them, and they come to him and say, Jesus, it's getting late. Now, my guess is it kind of went a little bit more like this. John was probably sitting there, and he looked over at Philip and said, Philip, would you let Jesus know we're kind of tired and it's time to cut it off? And Andrew was saying to him, yeah, man, I've like zoned out. He's been teaching that same thing over and over. I, I don't know. I'm not even sure if he knows how late it's gotten, but somebody needs to cut him off. How many of you have been in one of those situations where the speaker is just going on and on? Not this one, but other situations where the speaker's just going on and on and on, and you're like, man, is he ever going to finish? And the disciples are going, we're tired and we're worn out. This did not meet our expectations. Things are not going right. This is getting to the point that it's ridiculous. These people don't have any food. They don't have a place to sleep. There's no way that they're going to get home. This is getting out of control. Somebody needs to stop Jesus. And then Philip is like looking over this. I'm adding all this part, right? Philip's looking over at Jesus and saying, I mean, John, and John, John's sitting there, and Philip says, you know, Jesus loves you best. You're probably the one that should go tell him. Throw John under the bus. I don't know, maybe. That was what was going on. And as he was there teaching these people, it came to a point in verse 35 that says this, and when it grew late, the disciples came to him. They came to him, and they looked at him and said, Jesus, these people need Write this in your notes. If you're taking notes, resist deploying an escape plan. When things fail to meet your expectation, when things seem out of control, when they seem ridiculous, oftentimes we look for escapes, don't we? We look for somebody else to blame. You see what they did? They immediately shifted the blame to the people that were staying around. They, they said, these people need food. These people are tired. The truth is they needed food and they were tired. And so there was this shift of blame. There was this, look, Jesus, you have compassion on these people. We don't want to focus on us too much. So won't you take care of them and their needs? And so in the midst of that situation, the, the, they were in need of food. They were in need of help. And they wanted to just simply move away from that situation. In verse 37, it says this, But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus shifts the attention and he looks at them and says, You give them something to eat. In the book of John, he says he's doing this to test them. Now get this picture. The first thing that the disciples are saying is, these people need to go away. Jesus, it's late. It's tired. You're not keeping track of what's going on. They need to go away. And then Jesus says, you need to feed them. And the way that they respond is this. Are you saying that we need to take our time to take care of them and our money to take care of them? Are you saying we need to do this? You see, time and energy, time and money, that was the thing that was on their mind. When we go through difficult times in our life, when we go through those times that things seem out of control, ridiculous situations, what's the first thing that we do? We assess. Do we have the money to solve this problem? 
And how much time is it going to take to solve this problem? The, the disciples began to do this, kind of to lay it at Jesus' feet and say, really, are you saying that the 12 of us need to get a couple of donkeys and maybe a cart of some kind and go all over this area and figure out how to get food for this number of people? Really, you're saying that we need to take what in our modern dollar is somewhere around $14,500 and spend it so that we can feed this group of people? Is that what you're saying to us? When we find ourselves in ridiculous situations, many times we want to escape, but then we begin to analyze. Instead of escaping, we say, what's the cost going to be to us? If I remain in this situation, how much is it going to cost me energy-wise? What's the finances that it's going to cost me to do this? See, our faith goes away. We're no longer looking at the fact that we have just been able to see people healed and lives changed and the kingdom of God come into people's lives and then be energized. We're looking at the physical thing and saying, God, how in the world is this going to be taken care of? We begin to look at our resources and how we're going to meet God's projects, purposes with our resources. And the truth is our faith will be completely empty. We will not be able to do the things that God desires for us to do if the only sight that we have is our resources. Write this in your notes. Don't assume the solution depends on you. What Jesus is doing here is simply trying to get their minds to think off of what they're thinking about. He wants them to see how incredibly ridiculous this situation is because this is an incredible miracle that is about to take place. There are two miracles that we find in both Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. One of them is this, the feeding of the 5,000. The second one is the resurrection of Jesus. Those are the only two that are in all four Gospels. Now, there is a reference to people being healed from blindness in all of them, but it's not the same story situation. And so Jesus is pouring into his disciples, and he's saying, I am taking you on a faith journey. And what it really means to walk by faith with me. I want you to open your eyes that this is not about the situation where we just need to separate. We need to deploy a mission to get out of here. This is not a situation where your finances and your time are going to solve this problem. No matter how much you want to try to figure it out, you're not going to. This is a situation where only God can step in. And so we see as we continue on in verse 38, as he said this, to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said to him, five loaves and two fish. Now, if you look into the book of John, this tells a little bit more of the story here. There's a little boy that they found. Out of all of this huge crowd, there was only one mother who sent lunch for her son. Which mother is that in the room? I just want to make sure that you're on my list. Just Okay, good, good. Oh, can you see it? He's at home. Mom, I'm headed out to the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to be gone for a while. There's everybody going. I got to go. Everybody's going. I got to go. Whoa, 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 son. Hold on just a second. Joseph, I need to get you some food. And so she goes and she wraps him up a little basket. It's got five loaves in it. It's got a couple of fish. He's carrying that with him as he's headed out the door. I'll see you later, Mom. Be home before dark and put on your sunscreen. Can you see it? 
And he's running, he's carrying it, he's prepared, he's there at the place. Jesus is talking to his disciples and saying, I want you to live by faith. I want you to understand what it means to walk by faith. I want you to understand that this ridiculous situation you're in has not lost the sight of God. You're not just walking into this blindly. I am totally aware, Jesus would say to them in being transparent, that it's late in the day and there's a bunch of people here and they need to eat. You're telling me nothing I don't already know. But I need to teach you to be faithful to me with what you have. And so he says to them, what food do you have? And here they come up with these five loaves and two fish. Then he commands them all to sit in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided them into uh, divided and he divided the two fish among them all. So it starts out the disciples are like, I'm tired. I want out of here. I'm ready to go. This needs to be over. Somebody tell Jesus it's time to go. To Jesus saying, you feed them all and them coming up with solutions of checking their bank account and figuring out how much time it's going to take to meet the problem. And finally, Jesus saying to them, listen, what do you have? What are the resources that you have? Bring them here. Tell me what they are. Let's start with the resources you have, not the resources you don't have. Let's start with where you are instead of where you aren't. Let's begin with realizing that these people here are like sheep that are in need of a shepherd. Look at this. It's, it's absolutely mind-boggling what Jesus is doing. He says to them, sit down on the green grass. He doesn't tell them to go sit on the rocks. He doesn't say go get on a boat. He doesn't tell them to get on the path. He says to sit on the grass. If there was ever a thing that a shepherd wanted to do was to sit his sheep down on the green grass. There's not a mistake here in this word green grass. It's pointing to the fact that Jesus is seeing himself as the shepherd and saying, I am going to set them on the green grass. Not only are we going to set them on the green grass, guys, I want you to tell them to divide up into groups of 150 groups, separate them out. To me, that's 75 per group. I don't know how the numbers worked out. I don't know why the numbers worked out. But basically what Jesus was saying, I want you to set them down on the grass. These are the sheep. I want them sitting down and I want them sitting in flocks. Now, disciples, you're ready. You see, there's 12 of you, and we're about to do something that's beyond your control. All of the failed expectation that you had of this day, your mind's about to be blown away. All the things that you thought you were in control of, that you're not in control of, you're going to realize who really is in control of this moment. We're going to take these fish, and we're going to take this bread. And the 12 of you are now going to feed what my numbers say, around 22 groups each of people, 50s and 100, and you're going to shepherd them in this moment. As I am the lead shepherd, you're going to take the food to them. You're about to see a miracle take place. There was somebody that came up to me after the first service. He says, a child who used to think that they just broke the bread into really, really small pieces and everybody got some. That ain't the way it happened. There was a fish that every time it got pulled apart, <laughs> more was there. And there was a bread that every time it was pulled apart, more was there. And God is saying to us in our faithfulness, bring to him what we have, not what we don't have. Don't blow everything that you have thinking you're going to solve every problem that you have. Let me guide you. 
have faith in me. I want you to stand to your feet right now. There's a scripture verse that I want to touch on just for a minute right now. Stand to your feet. I want you to read this with me. It's in the King James Version of the Bible. This is to get the blood flowing to your brain again as we finish the home run here. We're going to read this. It is from Psalm chapter 23. We're only going to read the first couple of sentences. Read this with me. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Thank you very much. You may be seated. I use the King James Version because that's what I learned as a child. Anybody else? It's like That's at home week right there. I'm feeling good about that. In those scripture verses, he leadeth me, he taketh me. It's talking about the way that the shepherd works with the sheep. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment. You are now down by the creek. And there's a shepherd that's brought all of his sheep to the edge of the creek on the other side. And our heavenly father has brought us the sheep down there. And we're far enough that we can just bat each other. Everybody go, bah. Yeah. You know, a mom knows a, ba- a baby's bah, right? That she knows whether it's crying because it's hungry or it's crying because it wants to control, right? A mom knows that. Listen, our Heavenly Father knows our baths. He knows our baths of desperation. He knows our baths of thanksgiving. He knows when we're just complaining. But here we are on the shore. We're there. The sheep are on the other side. And they look at us and they say, you all seem to be people that, you all seem to be sheep that are a little more joyful. There seems to be something about you, your mission, your life. There's something different about you. And we look at them and we don't go, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. We look at them and go, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. Listen to this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You see what he did? He makes me lie down in green pastures right there where I can just munch on some grass. He restoreth my soul. He builds me up. And even when he walks me beside the water, he puts still water. It's not the kind that would rush over me and take me over. He restores my soul and he leads me in the path of righteousness. When I'm walking with the Lord, he's going to take me through the path. On either side, there are going to be vines. And those vines could trap me up. And they've got poison ivy and they've got stickers. But as long as I stay on that path, he's going to clear out that path. And he's going to lead me to the point of righteousness. Totally different picture. We're talking to another sheep and they're looking at us and saying, What's different about you? And we say, It's our shepherd. And then we look back at the shepherd in this next part that we didn't read together, and it says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why is that? Why can I say that? For thou, my shepherd, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Shepherd, you don't only sit me down in the green grass. You don't only give me enough to eat. You don't only protect me on the path. You anoint me. My cup runs over. There is just, <laughs> shepherd, you are a good shepherd. 
within the midst of ridiculous situations, my faith will remain on you, not on this world, not on my power, not on my strength, but you, my good shepherd. And then you begin to talk to yourself on this last part, because surely goodness and mercy will follow me. He's been good to me in the past. He's good to me now. Surely he's going to take me through this ridiculous situation. Surely on the other side of this, he's going to be the same God that he was back there. Surely faith will win, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wait a second. So not only are you a good God to take me through and provide more resource for me than I actually have, you're going to care for me and you've given me eternal life. So in this moment, no matter how ridiculous life gets, no matter how many times people are saying to me, what you're doing is not right, and I know that, God, I can stay focused on you, I have eternal life. And the Bible says, yes, yes, yes. You can walk into all ridiculous situations with great faith. And then in verse 44, And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of, uh, of the fish. And those that ate the loaves they had five, uh, were 5,000 men. The estimates is that this is somewhere between 15,000, 20,000 men, women, children, all of those. The disciples have fed them and... They've had baskets left over. Write this in your notes if you have it. This is big stuff right here. Write this in your notes. Faith is strengthened as God is resourceful with your resources. I just ask you to think for a moment. What do you have in the basket that you're bringing to the Lord? What are your resources? Are they complaints? Failed expectations? Disappointments? Anger? Frustration? Fear? Uncertainty? Man, I can jump in that basket with you real quick. It's not shame. It's evaluation. What is it that I'm bringing to the Lord? And Jesus wanted his disciples to bring faith and hope, possibility, joy, peace, patience, belief. In November of this past year, my salary dropped. By 30%. Has anybody ever gone through that? It's unsettling, isn't it? A time when you're thinking to yourself, I don't have the means by which to take care of my family, to do the things that I need to do. My resources, my time, they just have diminished. And in the midst of that, we had just made a decision to go on vacation. Now, some of you are going, you just call off the vacation. <laughs> well, for me... I've got one son who's graduating next year and one son that graduated last year. I don't have much time with them, and this is the time I get them. And so I say to God, God, this is the, this is the desire of my heart. I want to take my family. Sounds so selfish sometimes, but to be with them, to show them love, to care for them and spend time with them. And God, I don't know how it's going to work out. 
I don't know. But this is the desire of my heart. I don't know what the resources are, but God, I'm going to trust you. I've trusted you in the past. This is such a little thing compared to the other things we've had to trust on, right, God? I'm going to trust you. A couple of months before it was time for us to leave on vacation, to pay for our condo, to do all those things, my wife got a call that she does TV commercials, and they called and said, we'd like for you to come in and do a commercial. Totally unexpected. That was one-fourth of what we needed to be able to pay for our condo or trip. The next week, they called back and said, hey, we just happen to have another commercial. Over two months' period of time, she got four commercials that exactly took care of everything that we needed financially to get there. And I think, to God, God, do you care that much that you would let me go on vacation with my family? The week before we left on vacation, I got a card from a dear, dear friend that said, we want to thank you for the love that you have shown us by giving you a gift. And let me just tell you, it took us over what we needed for that trip. The disciples were standing on that hillside. Everybody's belly was full. They had no clue how it was going to work out, but their faith put into action allowed God to do a miracle. The Bible says that they went around and every single one of them had enough for themselves to take with them. It was like a to-go box from Olive Garden. (laughs) Buy one, get one. Maybe you all have seen that. And Jesus just wanted to say to them, listen, you can be faithful in going out and telling people the kingdom of God is at hand. You can pray with people and lay hands on people, but when it comes to you really trusting me, are you willing to put what's in your basket in my hands and take your resources and let me be resourceful? And maybe there's a ridiculous situation in your life right now where your marriage is about to explode. You're having struggles with your marriage. And let me just tell you, put it in God's hand. Let him take the resource and be resourceful. Maybe you're at a place in your job, in your work, that you don't know what's going to happen. You're looking at a situation like me. I don't know where the ends are going to meet. Put it in God's hand and let him be resourceful. Maybe you're having struggle with your children right now, and it's a battle it's a time battle. It's a money battle. There's this thing going on. And God is simply saying to you this morning, put it in my hands. Let go of it. Let me be resourceful. Maybe you're at a crossroads in your life. You're, you're in your tw- 20s. You're, you're trying to figure out life. You're saying, God, I don't know where to go. And God says, listen, just take your talents. Start where you are. Let me be resourceful. And God, I trust you. I trust you to be my shepherd. To let me lie down in green pastures to restore my soul, to encourage me, and I'm going to take what I have and let you be resourceful with it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we have looked into your word today, I just pray that we would be encouraged not to look at what we can control and what we can do, but God, what you can control and what you can do. And God, if there is empty parts in our lives right now that need to be healed, if there are places that need to be uh, given over to you, I just pray right now that we would do that. 
And take our resources, God, and let us walk faithfully, believing that you're going to do things with it that we could never imagine. God, heal our hearts from failed expectations and disappointments and anger and frustration and uncertainty. And God, give us the freedom to be your sheep. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're leaving this morning, I want you to find three people. Just look at them. And I want you to say this. The Lord is my shepherd. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.